0: listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay.
1: All right, so Jeff, today is a throwback Tuesday. What a throwback Tuesday is? Hmm. Is this a football analogy? It is not a football analogy. We'll get to those later in the season. It's It's still too
2: early. Well, what's a throwback Tuesday? All
1: right. Well, a throwback Tuesday is where we actually don't have a guest. So it's a throwback to the early days of Rattle and Pedal when it was just you and I. Although I did think about this. We actually do have a guest. Our guest is Data. So we're inviting Data to the conversation today oh. to talk with us.
2: Data is a good guess.
1: And not Data from the old Star Trek show. So if you're thinking like some kind of <laughs> weird
2: computer thing, No. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation because we're we're getting to your sweet spot. Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking about thought leadership. Let's hope that's my sweet spot, huh? So, all right. So as you know,
1: we co-host a conference on thought leadership called Profiting from Thought Leadership. It's coming up here in November. And in the lead up to that, my co-producer on that event, co-founder of that event, Bob Bidet of Bidet Thought Leadership Partners and I, in partnership with Phrenesis Partners, a research firm fielded a study into thought leadership, and I'm going to share some findings today. I'm going to share some of the high level findings from that study, and obviously, there's a lot more than what I'll share today. But we'll go through some of the most important things. I tried to outline it so that we could cover the most important things. So
2: I like this to steal a line from Pope John Paul II: "As thought leadership goes, so goes the firm." John Paul II
1: said that. I don't think I believe that. No, He he, he
2: had a line that I really loved. It was, as the family goes, so goes the country.
1: Aha. That makes a little more sense. Why is is John Paul?
2: Hey, I liked it because it's so... I love John Paul. I really believe thought leadership is at the heart of every firm. And I think a firm rises and falls to a large degree on its quality and quantity of thought leadership and the attributes that allow a firm to drive thought leadership. The thing I like about the study is we're going to get behind some of those drivers, but more importantly, how that thought leadership is linked to the marketing selling and delivering of of services in the minds of clients.
1: Yeah. Well, real quick before we move on, I, I'm sure you're fully aware that Pope John Paul II, I believe, is the first and only Polish Pope, right? Isn't that isn't that his claim to fame? Yes, I believe you're right. So I wanted to give a shout out to the to the Poles. All right. So real quick, we were planning this conference for this year and we were deciding it's like year six on this thing. Are we doing this thing? I said, look, there's enough content out in the world. I don't want to do anything around just, I don't want to do another content conference. I don't want to talk about content. I don't want to like be the content marketing world mini. Like I'm done with that. Like if we're doing a conference on thought leadership, we've got to focus on how do you actually get at real breakthrough ideas? Like I'm looking over up my shelf here and I've got, a, I've got like seven books. I kind of got rid of every book that wasn't like really meaningful to me. There's like seven there. Good to great. Influence. The Intelligent Investor, Built to Last, Wired to Care. So like, there's a handful of books on that shelf that are super meaningful that either change my worldview or that I use them, I think about them all the time and every way I work. And to me, that's the essence of what thought leadership is about. So it's like if you're really trying to change the marketplace conversation or own the marketplace conversation, or literally you create a whole new offering, a whole new sector, a whole new way to solve a problem that never existed. Maybe you invent a whole new problem. I mean, sometimes like that even happens, right? I didn't even know that was a problem. So that that's kind of where I wanted to go with it, you know, like cut to the essence of like, how do you do that? And that's what I looked at the research is I said, Bob, I want this research to give us those types of answers because I don't want to just write another white paper. The world needs another white paper. Like it needs, you know, the proverbial, you know, what, but breakthrough insights, you know, there's always a market for that, right? Somebody Giving you something new that's that's a different story so
2: thank you for saying that i envision these words content marketing with a big red circle and red slash through it so let's let's jump into this
1: <laughs> salesforce no software logo yes, <laughs> yes. Logo, logo.
2: say no to content marketing yeah. say yes to thought leadership because thought leadership is marketing thought leadership is sales thought leadership is delivery in well, and professional you, services.
1: As you pointed out in, you know, the webinar we did last year on intellectual property, it's that. I mean, it's 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 actually how do you build something that's valuable, coherent, sustainable that catalyzes growth, catalyzes service, everything and all that and more, you know. So I think that's the challenge most firms have is like if you think about this in a marketing lens only, that you're undervaluing what you're doing.
2: Let's jump into this. Let's ground two things. Okay. The first is your definition of thought leadership as it applies to this research. And to ground the research, who, to whom were you talking and getting responses from?
1: Okay. <laughs> first question is the hardest one, right? For me, I always come back to thought leadership exists to bring coherence to complexity, to help organizations illuminate a path forward on how to solve a sticky problem or a seemingly intractable problem, first and foremost. And so that's the way I believe we have framed it in the, in the survey is like you know developing largely content that enables clients to do that. Now, in terms of who we surveyed, we actually ran sort of two surveys in parallel Survey one was to 152 executive decision-makers, so folks that use thought leadership with some regularity to solve their most strategic business problems. And they were largely big companies, so 44% came from billion-dollar-plus organizations and half of them were in North America. So most of them were in North America, but some were in Europe and Asia and some in smaller organizations. There was no organizations under $50 million in that data set. So it was only companies that would be of enough scale that the assumption is that they would hire, You know, let's face it, consulting firms, technology firms, the types of organizations that tend to produce. Television. And that cut across sectors, financial services, CPG, retail, tech, automotive, telecom, life sciences, you name it. And then the parallel track was a study of 163 producers of thought leadership, so consulting firms, IT services firms, technology firms, financial services firms that develop thought leadership for whatever the priorities we've talked about today. And that slice was obviously a wider range of revenue bases. I'm looking for that data set real fast if I can find it. I don't know if I have that handy. But obviously, you know, we went to much smaller organizations because, as you know, a lot of really small organizations that, like ours, five or six people, right, that produce thought leadership. And then and a lot of the questions were, were paralleled, right? So a lot, a lot of times we were asking questions that in a very similar vein to try to expose gaps between the way that clients are thinking about these things and the folks responsible for developing thought leadership are thinking about these things.
2: All right. So that's the Audi. Audiences. Audiences. <laughs> those, those are the audiences. Audii? The audio? Audio. So I always like to start with the client. So let's jump in to that and what the research had to say about what clients value. In terms of in-thought leadership itself, what they value in thought leadership? Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and is thought leadership important to clients? And if so, what is important about it and why?
1: All right. So let's start with its importance. And the answer to that is that, yes, it is widely seen as very important. So on a scale of one to five, five being extremely important, the average response was 3.9 across all industries. And there was not great variability. So even though you might hear your clients say, well, Jason, we sell into manufacturing companies, they don't value this stuff. We sell into whatever. There's actually not that much variation there. In fact, oddly enough, the, the, or the industry that valued it the most was industrial manufacturing, which is interesting. So, but that variation was like 3.74 to 4.01. So it was such a small margin to be really not even that important. So it is important to, to, to clients, or I should say it's very important on average to clients. And I think that the, the reason it's important, we we've talked a lot about in, in presenting the research findings so far, is we just believe it helps bring, as we said at the opening, coherence out of complexity. So it's you know w- with so much changing in the world and so much going on, clients are just looking for clarity on on how to go forward in, in any number of areas in their business. As you know, you've heard me say this over the last 24 months. I felt like I said this again and again. Every time I ran a webinar, I was like, man, consulting firms, this is your time. It's like there there are problems everywhere. And every client is hungry for help. So step up and give them advice because they want it now more than they've ever wanted it. So that's why. Now what do they value? So one of the things we did, and I'm fortunate on this study to have worked with Bob on it, in that Bob has been in the thought leadership business for what, 40, 50 years. And he has built this framework of sort of nine dimensions of quality content. And so we used his nine dimensions of quality content to ask people what's valuable to them. And we asked them to rank order those so they could pick the rank order three out of nine. And clients said that the three most important things were evidence. So show me evidence that the solution you're proposing to solve this problem actually works. You know, Give me a an example of this in action, So I can trust that what you're saying that we should be doing has worked for somebody other than than me. I'm not the guinea pig. I don't want to be the guinea pig. Depth of knowledge and how to solve it. So I come back to this notion that you and I both have talked about that Jeff DeRocher shared, who used to be the CMO of RHR International. That's how I knew him. We met him at AMCF a decade ago. And he always said, Jason, my goal is to build a body of work around, around a problem. And so this idea that it's not just a one and done, there's not like one article written by somebody somewhere. And and that's like, oh, okay. There's just this, there's there's depth of knowledge and that depth is very clear, you know, that it's multidimensional, whatever. And then the third piece that they said is most important to them is feasibility. Just the idea that, okay, how do I actually get started? Like how do I, yeah, you've got a great recommendation on how to solve this problem, but how do I get out of the gate? How do I take the first steps? you know, is there a clear path to adoption or is it so confusing that, or not confusing, or it's it's Academic. so- Yeah, that I don't know how to do anything with it. I don't know how to yeah. apply it. So those are the things that, that clients, you know, really brought to the top out of a list of nine, rank ordered and then weighted. So we did weight them based on like, if someone answered something first, that, that got more weight than if they answered it third. If they didn't rate it at all, that, that then it got a zero.
2: So clients are saying- demonstrate some new thinking around this problem to me. Show me where you've applied it so that I know that it's not academic and I'm not going to be the guinea pig of this and put my career at risk mm-hmm. and then bring pragmatism to the yep. table. That's what feasibility to me is is pragmatism because there are I think firms out there that are just too pie in the sky with their use cases or hypotheses that it's it's just too risky for people to, on average, to engage. Well,
1: I think you make a great point there, and that if you stop and think about the purpose of thought leadership for the client, it one of the most important things is to reduce risk. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, you actually mentioned you know a new solution. So th- what's interesting is that the clients are less concerned about it being. Novel than they are with evidence, so novelty was like the fourth thing. So that was the thing. Like they're basically saying, at least I believe they're saying, look, I'm more interested that the solution will actually solve the problem, and that there's evidence that it will, than it being a new way to solve it. I push that to it's like I want a better way. I don't care if it's 100 years old. I don't care if it's relatively new. I just want a better way to solve this problem.
2: You know, it's funny that you say that as as a CMO. One of the lessons and hard lessons that, that I learned and why technology became so important to me way before technology became so popular, and we have Chief Martech and in, in all of that, is that I learned that the novel idea, the new idea, the idea that breaks through the noise, if you will, and I think that's where novelty plays a part, is it mm-hmm. gives you the ability to break through the noise is the idea that I've never heard or seen before, right? And speed to market is so important because in professional services, these solutions and this thinking are are very fungible and, and people can steal ideas and jump into market fairly quickly. So getting to market very fast with these attributes that are important to clients is critical from a marketing and a sales perspective. And I think you'd never know where a, a buyer is coming from. Have they seen something or have they not? If I'm there an hour later than my competitor with the same idea, my idea can seem old. But if I'm there an hour yeah. earlier, it can seem new. And I mean, that's an extreme example. There's other things that go into that.
1: Just think about some like movements, I'll call them movements. Challenger sale, I, I would lump in this. I remember the first time someone walked into my office and said something about the challenger sale to me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me a little bit more, right? And I, it was new to me. And to your point, I was interested. I was curious. Now, 15 years removed from that interaction, if someone walked into my office and said, well, let me tell you about the challenger sale. I'd be like, well, oh, come on, you, you need to leave. You know, are you that out of touch? (laughs) Now, if they walked in and said, you know, now let's talk about you know how you approach the sale, and they were weaving in pieces and elements of the Challenger sale, and they were layering on top of that like their own way of looking at it. Then, and then now that's novel, right? Now it's like, okay, here's a different way of thinking about this, and and that's the way I've actually kind of framed cynic's work lately. Simon Cynic's work. I mean, when he first kind of burst on the scene with Start with Why, I wanted to just roll my eyes. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But lately, it's been coming back to me in different forms from different people with more coherence around it. And I'm like, yeah, this makes total sense now. And I think a lot of that's the purpose-driven company movement right now. It's playing out, right? That You and I have talked about. So I, I love the way you put that. It's like it's, there, there's timeliness and then there's like structure and there's some balance of the two that you have to get right.
0: You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff.
2: So you interviewed buyers and you interviewed producers. You just covered what was important to buyers. What did producers assume was going to be important?
1: Well, and that's where the gap is most interesting, I think. So the, the third thing on the list, you know, feasibility, right? We talked about this. So so clients value feasibility. They want to know this thing will work. You know, firms write that number seven. So that's very low on their list of importance. What they put in third is, is coherence of concept. So I, I chalked this up. You and I were talking about this coming in and I see it in firms all the time. They love frameworks, right? They, they want to wrap a model around everything. They want everything to have a, a pretty view of reality that sort of like washes away the noise and just says, here is the beautiful framework that describes everything that's going on. And clients don't care that much about that at all. In fact, that's very low on their list. So it's sort of like if you're spinning yourself sideways, trying to find the perfect two by two or the next two by two, I guess, right? The, the perfect framework to describe this thing. Maybe you should spend a little less time on that and a little more time on figuring out how to help a client get off the, the dime and, and, and get direction on where to start. That's my takeaway on that. Oh,
2: wow. I've got a tinge of guilt and, and shame in what we you all just said do. there, right? <laughs> I love my frameworks for sure. And I've I've learned over the years that clients want to know, well, what are the steps to get to the result that I want? And the framework is... The thinking behind the steps, but buyers want the steps. They don't want yeah. the framework. Is as, as you said, and I think firms, because the four square or what's Porter's the five five forces forces, you know, they see those examples that have had success, and they want to emulate those. Yeah, and I think what firms need to understand is. As, as we kind of touched on, novelty and newness is, is fourth on on the list. But what clients need most from the frameworks and the steps is it needs to be understandable, Yep. right? That's where pragmatism and frameworks and coherence and everything comes together. It needs to be explained in a way that the client understands it and sees the steps to the result.
1: Yeah, it's funny because to your point, I'll just pick a random topic that's been playing out in our lives lately. And it's, you know, crypto, NFTs, DeFi, everything around that. And if you stop and think about whatever your, your knowledge is on that, the first person you can probably think of is the person that made it understandable. There's a person in mind that I have that made that world understandable to me. And that's the person, that's the thought leader on the topic, not the person who had the most perfect representation or coherent framework on what's going on, just the person that made it something I could wrap my head around and go, oh, I know what an initial coin offering is. I know what a coin is. Now I got it. Got Mm -hmm. it. Now I know what this thing is. Just I think if you think about any fuzzy, weird topic like that, that you're trying to wrap your head around, whatever, that's the way to think about it is who is the organization or the person that 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 made it understandable to you. And I think that's your goal, right? If with whatever you do for a living is to help your clients find that same level of clarity in the problems that you're proposing to solve for them.
2: Yeah. And, and you mentioned Simon Sinek. I mean, his model was three circles. <laughs> three circles, right? <laughs> three circles, not really uh, complex. And three words that three of the five for, yeah. uh, of any <laughs> story, right? You know, what, how, why, but just the way he articulated it. But not in that order, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. All right, so let's shift gears. So thought leadership over the years, I think, has traditionally been relegated kind of to this R&D, novel idea, demand generation perspective, right? But I I think marketing, and this is a good thing, has has matured and we're looking more along the buyer's journey in its entirety. Where is thought leadership really being leveraged in new and different ways along the buyer's journey? Where do buyers want it? Where are producers spending their time delivering it?
1: Yeah. So, we tried our best to break it down into a, a buyer's journey of some type. We ended up with, I think, eight dimensions or, or eight steps in a sequence, You know, sort of a hypothetical sequence of how someone might might buy something, right? We know that's, you know, I think Gartner's pointed out so well that it's not like that. It's a chaotic mess. And I mean, I guess the most important thing to, to, to echo is that they're using it at every point of that eight step journey from, we, we said at the very beginning, identifying warning signs ahead. So sort of, you know, just sort of scanning the universe of, of ideas to what's going on out there that what could be a disruption point for us all the way to the end of that journey being picking a firm. So their they're, clients are using it at every point on that journey. Where they're using it the most is actually at the very beginning. So identifying warning signs ahead. So this idea of keep me informed, you think about what I think firms like McKinsey and Tier One firms do so well as they keep people informed of what's going on around them and just sort of keeping their head up above the horizon. And then where they actually use it the most is in determining the best way to solve a problem. So it kind of comes back to what we talked about just briefly before: is that that's sort of the moment in the journey when once they've framed a problem and they're trying to figure out how to solve it, is where they're leaning on thought leadership the most. So one way to think about this is clients need a little less help understanding the problem, and they need more help in figuring out how to solve it. And as we've talked sometimes, maybe not with thought leadership, but with some of our guests, help on aligning against the solution, getting everybody unified that we need to solve this, and here's how we're going to solve it, which is also sort of like rated right third. So I just thought it was really interesting. I kind of, in my mind, I've kind of pictured it like a donut. It's sort of like, you know, earliest stages of buying, they're, they're leaning on thought leadership. Later stages of buying, they're leaning on thought leadership. But in the middle, they're leaning on it less, which I thought was really fascinating.
2: Yeah. You mentioned some of the earlier conversations we've had. And I've seen this in my own clients, both in how I work with them, but how they're working with their prospects and and clients. And it it seems to me that the thought leadership, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting up air quotes right now, needs to be recontextualized by the thought leadership development teams and the marketing teams and the sales teams because forward thinking which is what thought leadership is can be applied in the context of that buying cycle right of identifying landmines and this is where i think reinforces what you were saying about what's most important to to clients is show me the steps Right? So the steps include, well, A, B, C, and D in basic project management, but what are the risks between steps A and B? And what could bring this project down and what needs to be managed around each one of those steps? And to me, the best firms demonstrate results and expertise Because they've done this so many times, they learn what are the things that can bring down a project between steps A and B and B and C. Did your research show anything along those lines, or am I just talking pie in the sky?
1: I mean, we didn't really query in the way I think you're suggesting. I think you're leaning into use cases a little bit, sort of like how, if there's thought leadership research done on a burning problem or a burning platform then how do we bring the solution to market, you know, end to end from creating demand and interest about about how to solve it to literally steps in the delivery of solving it that might be used in the sale, right? I don't think we got that granular. I, but I do think that your point is accurate, which is that the best firms are thinking much more granularly. I think that there's a overly simplistic view that thought leadership equals demand gen right?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's it. And Bob pointed this out when we had him on, you and I've talked about it. It's like thought leadership is about you know, bringing coherence to complexity and scaling a solution around that, right? So it's one thing to say, this is the way to solve it, but then it's another thing to actually build an entire organization that's capable of solving it at scale. And that's what should come out of an investment in thought leadership, right? Is the ability to do that. I don't know if that makes
2: any sense it makes sense. All right. So, I know you're going to say we're coming to time. So, I want I want to yep. I want to yep, get we're... to some other big questions Okay. that I have. You said that you interviewed a whole litany of producers across a, several different industries of professional services. Where there nuances in the industries in terms of the thought leaderships, value or power or situations where thought leadership's importance stood out? Yes. So, so yes, there, there,
1: there's, there's a couple of interesting nuances here, I think. Technology companies put more importance on thought leadership than other types of professional services firms, even more than management consulting firms, more than law firms, accounting firms, financial services firms. So tech companies think software, big tech, view it among the most important. One of the things I find actually interesting about the data is they also think they're most effective. So tech firms and IT services firms believe they're more effective at developing original primary research and high quality thought leadership content than management consulting firms, which I actually think is really interesting. I I kind of question if it's a function of they are actually better at it or they just think they're better at it because I find it hard to believe that some of the firms that would you would lump into traditional management consulting firms that sort of invented the thought leadership idea are worse at it than a software company that's maybe 20 years old. So I just think it's a really interesting thing that maybe it's just hubris, but maybe it's not, I don't know. But I thought that was a really fascinating dichotomy. And quite frankly, that, that the tech companies were putting more importance on it than, than or, or saw it as more important to their organizations. So some of that, again, It might be where they're starting from, as you've always talked about. Strategy is a destination from a starting point. And I think if you right now said, I want you to head up thought leadership at McKinsey or Slack, you're going to say McKinsey is further along the curve than Slack is. Nothing against Slack, but I don't think they're seen as a thought leader, right? Very different views, right? So you might have to approach it differently if that makes any sense.
2: Okay. All right. One last question those that are delivering impeccable thought leadership. And by impeccable, I mean differentiating and moving their strategy and their firm's performance forward. What are they doing differently from the firms that aren't seeing that success? What, what are the attributes of the most successful firms in terms of thought leadership generation?
1: So, I mean, of course, as you know, that's we've built the entire conference with the purpose of like bringing that out. And so we have speakers from firms that we believe are best in class. So IBM, McKinsey, BCG, Bain, Deloitte, Infosys, Salesforce, HubSpot, they're all going to be speaking about this. When you look at the research, and we're going to share a lot more about sort of the leaders and laggards, and the and really what the firms that are the best at thought leadership do best at the conference. So, for people that that come and pay to attend, either streaming or in person, they'll get more of this than than they will hear. To me, what jumped out that you'll love to hear the most is the most important thing appears to be culture, and we're going to go deep on that. We have like a whole two to three hour sequence of talks about. Building a culture of thought leadership and a culture that supports problem exploration and deep research and knowledge gathering and knowledge sharing and and encourages, you know, risk taking to some extent, putting yourself out there. I mean, sometimes you can't build thought leadership without smart people and smart people aren't comfortable putting themselves out there in some cultures. So you have to make that a safe space for that to happen. So one of the things we're going to do there that I'm actually really excited about is we have a talk that Alan Alper from Bidet Thought Leadership Partners is doing with Dave Ulrich, who's a sort of global HR guru from the RBL group, about how you build a culture of thought leadership. And then we're going to have discussions with firms at different points on that continuum. So firms that are at like nascent, sort of just early stages to firms like McKinsey that I would argue are among the best at having that type of culture. You know, if you've ever read the book, The Firm, they talk a lot about that, how there was a point in time where they basically thought they would give their second best content to HBR because that's how good they thought their content was, you know? So there's a different culture around that. So, so that, I mean, that's the most important thing ultimately at the end of the day is, is, is making sure that you've built a culture that's receptive to this and, and, and believes it's important at the end of the day, that believes that creating time, space, money, and resources for this is a worthwhile endeavor. Because if you don't do that, then everything else is out the window.
2: Boy, I'm so happy to hear that because at the heart of my coherent framework <laughs> is culture. <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: Well, you, know, yeah, well yeah, you, you say it all the time. You say it all the mm-hmm. time. You, know, you don't use it in that context, but culture is everything. Mm-hmm. What will the partners do or not do to get the success they want?
2: Yeah. So you talked about another important element, money. How much are firms investing in this nowadays? A lot more than they used to, from what we can tell.
1: You know, so we ended up with five to 7% of revenue was the the swing with consulting firms spending six and a half percent of their revenue on thought leadership. And that's just the research, exploration, content development. That's not even the marketing muscle that's put behind this stuff. And notably, one of the things we looked at was we used to do these research studies back with the Association of Management Consulting Firms years ago. And when we did it in 2016 with them, it was like 1.9 percent. So it's basically tripled in in the last five years, seven years. Wow! So it seems like there's an arms race on <laughs> to, you know, to 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 kind of out not outspend, but certainly be the thought leader on a wide range of topics. So so yeah, companies are spending more than they used to. There's no doubt about it.
2: Well, this is I know you're saving the best data and findings for your event coming up. So if people want to hear the best of it, how can they learn about the Profiting from Thought Leadership event?
1: Well, thank you for the plug, of course. Thoughtleadershipseminar.com is the URL. You can go there to see all the speaking lineups, all the sessions. The, the, The program is November 2nd through 4th in Dana Point, California, just south of LA, beautiful coastal town, Laguna Beach area. And the first two days are best practices programming. And then day three is a training, immersive training session for a smaller group of folks. I am going to offer like all of our podcast listeners $500 off an in-person ticket. So anybody that wants to attend, just use the promo code podcast before you select your ticket. So when you go to the registration page, you'll see a little blue link. Click that, type in the word podcast, and you'll get $500 off any in person ticket two day or three day. Hopefully we'll, we'll we'll get to meet some of our listeners live. And, nice. Uh, so that'd be cool.
2: Nice, and it sounds like they get a chance to meet some great representatives for some excellent companies.
1: Yeah, I mean the speaking lineup's unbelievable. I mean honestly, I mean I think the one thing that I hear people say over and over again though and we and I did a post on this recently in terms of what they value, the people who have attended this thing in the past, because this is year six, right? Usually what they say, it's the people around them. It's the peers. It's the people that the networking, the people they get to know and the chance to just talk about what they're struggling with in marketing a firm. And what I've seen is that the audience reflects the speakers, but usually in smaller to mid-sized organizations. So it's sort of firms that aspire to be more like some of the firms that are up there, at least on this dimension, maybe not all dimensions. And so you're going to find your peers there. If you're a you know, marketing leader or a editorial or content leader in a professional services firm, you're going to find a lot of your peers in that room to share challenges. So it's pretty cool.
2: Well, Jason, Throwback Tuesday was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks for doing it. I really appreciate it.
2: All right, buddy. Thanks for joining us, Data. <laughs> <laughs> See you, buddy. See you.